0: Because I know that we can do better. And only that, we definitely deserve better. And that starts at the leadership level.
1: I believe in Calgary. I believe in Calgary. I believe in Calgary. I I believe in Calgary.
0: This is the We Believe in Calgary podcast.
1: We're here to give voice to the Zane Novak 2021 mayoral campaign by speaking to community leaders, local entrepreneurs, and civic visionaries about the issues and innovative ideas that affect Calgarians.
0: Join us every second Wednesday leading up to the municipal election on
1: October 18th. Zane Novak, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast today.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always uh, fun. It's an adventure, podcaster, uh, social media beast all unto themselves, but they're always fun to do.
1: Yeah, so we always start the podcast with a simple question. What is your Calgary story? Well,
0: my Calgary story is a little bit complex, but I'm sure everyone's is. I was not a born and raised Calgarian, which is not shocking. Uh, Not a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the things that really attracted me to this city when I started to come here for business almost 20 years ago. And in fact, quickly, my question was to everyone, what is their Calgary story? Right? Because I found it so fascinating to see how this was such... um, a mosaic, a melting pot of different cultures from all over the world. It is, yeah. And my story is, well, I was born in Lloydminster, and yes, the hospital is on the Saskatchewan side, so technically I have a Saskatchewan (laughs) birth certificate. You can't change that, ever. (laughs) But I grew up in northern Saskatchewan most of my life, and it was very much a background of road construction, earthworks, and a lot to do with farms and ranches and horses and cattle and grain and hay and straw and all those beautiful things. Mm -hmm our agricultural industry. But in the 80s, I moved into Alberta uh, full-time and worked uh, in the concrete ready-mix aggregate industry with Lafarge for about eight eight years. I then got involved back in the family business, which was heavy equipment, road construction, uh, rentals, that type of thing. And that was in the Edmonton Beaumont area. And that's where I raised my children most of their lives. And then in early 2000s, started coming here for work on the oil and gas side of things in the fabrication world. Okay. And uh, the interesting thing that, about that was getting to know Calgary on a street level. Mm-hmm. And I had never really done that, you know, be prior. Edmonton was our city of business. That's where we went for, you know, parts, repairs, industry. Coming here for the longest time, you know, before I came here, I just thought Calgary was You know, a city that had a great rodeo and a beautiful view of the mountains. Mm -hmm. And then moving here and living here and working here and being at that street level and interacting with everybody from, you know, buskers on the street to the Mm C-suite of oil and gas and other businesses and industry, I really fell in love with the city because of that exact question you asked me. Mm -hmm. What is your Calgary story? And I thought it was amazing how this city... Attract, it was like a magnet. You know, it was, everybody, we were all like moths to a candle. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, even, you know, six years ago, if you were not coming to Calgary, you were missing out. Didn't matter if you were from an Albertan, if you're from BC, Saskatchewan, you know, Manitoba, Halifax, Ontario, Quebec, Houston, uh, London, England, Abu Dhabi, India, all over the world, you, we, we, we attracted people from all over the world to come here and in fact I often say I think that Calgary was the origin of the statement FOMO fear of missing out right it was like there was a fear missing out because if you didn't go to Calgary you were missing out because it was so vibrant and I believe you know that attracted all the people here for the same reason it attracted me this was a city of opportunity you could come here and you know you didn't have to be an engineer Mm -hmm. in oil and gas or you know in that kind of cliched designation of industry, Mm -hmm. but because of the wealth and prosperity and innovation of our oil and gas industry, it created an abundance of wealth, a lot of disposable income. So you could come here and you could be a framer, a drywaller, you could open up a beauty salon, you could open a restaurant, uh, whatever it was, if you brought those ethics and those, that drive of of business, entrepreneurial um, drive, you had a better possibility of prosperity and success here than in any other city that I've ever worked in, lived in or associated with. And I always say this to me, Calgary, you know, it was like the wild, wild west, except with law and order. Right. Right. You know, you could come out here, you could stake your claim and you could strike it rich. That sense of excitement and opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can see that walking down the street. When I came here 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, you know, going down the street, uh, you would just see that energy, mm-hmm. not to do pun on the word energy, yeah, yeah. the energy there. <laughs> <calendar. laughs> you know, you, but there was that energy in the people. There was excitement in their eyes. And every morning you get up and you're like, I had a great day yesterday because I, you know, I landed this job or I did this. But you know what? Today can even be better. Mm-hmm. And there was just that enthusiasm. And I tell you. Me being the type of person I am who, A, loves successes, loves advancement, loves people, socialization. I saw how the arts community was growing in Calgary. I mean, other cities, you know, have been well-established in the arts community. Edmonton, you know, they've been well-known in the arts community for a long time. But Calgary was really catching up, and I just bought into that fever and fervor of what this city is. And I became one of the biggest advocates for this city. It didn't matter where I went. Mm -hmm. even back up to my old stomping grounds, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, or on my business travels, Chicago, New York, LA, wherever. And I was just championing Calgary all the time. Right. And so that's kind of my Calgary story. It's, it's, you know, it's certainly unique in that compared to any other city I've ever been, you know, even here, Europe, the US, spent lots of times in the US. Like Calgary... You know, like the oil and gas, for instance, I've always said, you know, it's a multi-multi-billion-dollar industry, but it's in a tiny neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you will see people socializing who, you know, everything from general labor in a fabrication shop to CEOs of some of the largest companies uh, in Western Canada. Mm-hmm. And everybody seemed to get along. And there was just that vibrancy and that energy that we were all part of something much bigger. And it was fun to be on that journey.
1: Yeah. So we're going to talk about policy. Um, We're going to talk about your vision for Calgary. Um, But before we get into that, um, I guess I want to ask a bit bit more about your personal background. So what motivates you personally? Or in other words, I guess, what, what gets you up in the morning? Well, that's an easy question to answer right off the top.
0: I don't sleep. (laughs) <laughs> like I sleep so little, <laughs> um, you know. I mean, her some a couple hours a night's a good night for me if I can get that uninterrupted. So yeah, I mean, just the way my body's wired, I get up. I, the I think Zane actually has one of those special genes where they only people only need three hours of sleep. There's a very rare population that can get away with that, and I think that's. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think mean, well, that's you.
0: I, I always say it's just because there's always too much in my mind, and my brain never. Wants to shut off and rest, um, but you get a whole. You almost get a whole extra month in a year from being out there. By the <laughs> yeah, way, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it, it's true. Like there, there will be times when I literally get forty five minutes sleep a night for several days in a row, and I'm fine. Okay. Anyway, but what gets me out of bed? Because I always know that there's an opportunity ahead of me. And I think that that is why I fit in so well and felt so in love with Calgary, because Calgary, to me, was just the epitome of a city of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So every morning that I get up, hey, what can we do today that we didn't do yesterday? And what motivates me now on a political aspect is due to a lot of circumstances out of our individual control as Calgarians, a lot of those opportunities have been snatched from our grasp. Whether that's due to economy, whether that's due to politics, Mm -hmm. global agendas, that they have painted us into many, many corners that have made it very frustrating. And for all the reasons I fell in love with Calgary, and I see those taken from us, are the reasons that I've decided to step up and try to change the outcomes. Because I know that we can do better, and not only that, we definitely deserve better. Mm -hmm. And that starts at the leadership level.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think you know that's why we're here today, and why we titled the podcast as we did is uh, I think everyone here in this room believes in Calgary and sees uh, shares that vision um, that you were expressing. So, anyways, um, I guess transitioning a bit more towards uh, some some policy stuff. Um, why are you running for mayor?
0: Well, specifically, you know the things that really drive me to do that. Are you know? I kind of touched on, but we don't see that opportunity. I'm going. I I made tons of friends, tons, tons, tons of friends from every demographic in this city, and I see so many of my friends unemployed now, who are brilliant individuals. I see so many of my friends who own businesses and now. There's brown paper on their windows. Mm-hmm. I see our suicide rates at the top end of the scale. I mean, I talk to my friends in the fire department, and, and you know, the situations they have to go into and deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I see all of these things, which are 100. percent 180 degrees opposite of the reasons I fell in love with this city mm. and I can't take it I don't like it through my non-profitable uh, non-profitable non non-profit endeavors mm-hmm. I've been involved in the nonprofit uh, at-risk communities uh, extensively in Calgary in the last 15-18 years from everything from boots on the ground serving meals to uh, board positions president of boards of nonprofits. And that has led me down the path to have a lot of interaction with our municipal hall, Mm -hmm. whether it's council, the mayor's office, or city administration. And I have become very disappointed in what I see. It is shocking. uh, We have such a divisive city council right now. We have a, a lack of respect of stakeholders in this city. When I say stakeholders, number one, are us as taxpayers. Number two, our other major stakeholders are business, they are the provincial government per se, maybe even the federal government, they're all stakeholders in this city. Mm-hmm. And right now, what I have witnessed for the last several years is a real disconnect, a non-collaborative attitude in city hall, whether that's between mayors and councillors, councillors and councillors, uh, the mayor and the provincial government, the mayor and councillors, the provincial government, the list just goes on and on and on. And at top of that list is, I think as Calgarians, we are shown so little respect. We are the ones that you know pay the bill here mm-hmm. and we don't have voice to the table we're not listened to we're not taken seriously uh, and I, that just actually disgusts me and a lack of transparency probably as well <laughs> yeah that that's a whole talk on itself and I'm mm-hmm. sure we could have a several hour podcast about but definitely transparency and responsibility and accountability and that uh, is you know some of the main motivating factors one of the hardest conversations I've had was talking to my daughter Carmia about the fact that I was going to run for mayor, and my daughter and I are very close. She's a highly articulate, intelligent young woman, and she. I told her, "Karmia, yeah, I'm going to run for mayor," and she says, "Like, Dad, why would you do that with all the things that we've been through and you've been through in your life? Why would you put yourself in a situation where you know there will be, you know, it, it's a harsh, toxic environment we're in right now, especially in politics." With all the social media platforms, anyone being able to access a a keyboard to say whatever they want through the screen of anonymity where they don't actually have to stand in a room and look a person in the eye to say something slanderous. It's a toxic environment to expose yourself to. So I said to my daughter, I said, Kermit, I see it this way. And I fall in love with this city. This is my city. And these are my friends and these are my neighborhoods. And I don't like what I see. Mm -hmm. So it gives me four choices. One, I can just shut up and say nothing. But if you know me for more than five minutes, that's probably not an option. Mm-hmm. Number two, I could just be negative. But all the negative experiences uh, that I've had in my life, if I were to come to the negative side of that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So number three, I could pack my bags and move to another community. But you know what? This is my city. Mm-hmm. This is my community. This is my network. And everywhere you go, there are problems. So that only leaves me with one option, and that is to stand up and do something. Mm-hmm. And me running for mayor, well, that's me standing up to do something.
1: Okay. So I know we were going to move towards the policy and and um, and your vision there, but I, I, you know, something you, you mentioned there um, as to some of the maybe unique personal challenges that you had. Maybe you could talk a bit about that as well. Um. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, grew
0: up in Saskatchewan, very close to my mother. Not as close to my father and my sister, but my mom and I were close. But, you know, when you grow up in Saskatchewan, working road construction, I started living in road camps when I was 14. Got my schooling, a lot of it through correspondence. You don't necessarily ever admit that you're close to your mom. I mean, it's just, hopefully that genre has died and been put to bed. But um, I was very close to my mom. She was a brilliant lady, brilliant, brilliant woman. And we were coming back from a trip down in the united states and she was driving hit black ice on a mountain pass hit the ditch and rolled and she died i actually yeah when i was 18 i was in the vehicle and, and she passed away and that was very traumatic it taught me a lot of things i learned a lot of things from that lessons i wish i hadn't learned but they've been beneficial throughout my entire life as to how to appreciate people and work with people and respect people and be complimentary mm-hmm because um, you don't always know if you're going to have that opportunity again, right? So, went through all that, you know, went through business life, went through some difficulties in the family business, different lessons, very important business lessons I've learned over the course of time. I um, was married, have two children, my son Cole, my daughter Carmilla, Uh but unfortunately, when Cole was 18, which is 10 years ago this year, uh, November 26th of 2011, he and his two best friends, Brad and Thad, who, uh, Brad lived with us and Thad, spend a lot of time at our home, we're coming back to our house, and this is when I still had a house up in Beaumont, and the trunk driver hit and killed all three of them. So our family went basically, you know, from myself, my daughter Carmia, my son Cole, Brad and Thad, a family basically of five, you could say, went to two when the RCMP knocked on my door and told me the trunk driver hit their vehicle and killed mm-hmm. all three of them. So... That was when I was, in fact, that exact weekend that that occurred 10 years ago was the same weekend that Kermie and Cole were packing their rooms all up from their house in Beaumont, our house in Beaumont, to move to a condo that they had leased in Bankview because they both had jobs in Calgary. And so that was a big transition for us. And it was for me as a parent, it was one of the proudest time periods until that horrific crash. That was one of the proudest time periods of my life because, you know, I'd solo parented my children, went through a divorce, solo parented my children from 2006 on. They never slept another night under their mom's roof. So it was kind of the three of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of sacrifices come in parenting, but a lot more come when you solo parent. But also a lot of rewards come
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you... Put your effort, heart, and energy into it. And the, one of the biggest rewards was the fact that, you know, Cormier and Cole were now moving to Calgary. We were all moving here full time. And they had their own place. I had my place. And it was just like, wow, you know, this is such a major step in our household that they're moving here. And then that same weekend that they were packing up to move, it uh, was the weekend that, you know, the drunk driver hit and killed all th- you know, three, my son and his two best friends. So what really helped me, Survived through that was obviously my daughter, but also I had become very involved in the community here in Calgary and as part of a group at that time called uh, the Mavericks. And they were a group that sponsored Chuck Bikes at the Stampede, but they also did a lot for children's charity. And over the course of time, I would venture to guess they probably raised close to $10 million net wow. for local children's charities, small, specific ones, mm-hmm. which are very, you know, they, they're really particular about where they spend their money. So it gets to the clients, the ones who need it. And that group and the other nonprofit groups had, and the business community, I just had so many good friends here. Mm -hmm. And I was able to pour a lot of my grief into working in the community. And hopefully, I've always felt that if there is something within my power that's reasonable, that I can do, share, or give, that will help the quality of someone else's life, I would do it. And so that has led me over the course of time here in Calgary in the last 18 or 19 years to dedicate about 23,000 volunteer hours into the community. And I have received a lot of reward out of that. It's been my way of dealing with grief, with dealing with tragedy, with dealing with unfortunate circumstances. And I have also received a lot out of that. I've given a lot, but I've received a lot. I mean, you can be on a board position somewhere and you can change policy at a nonprofit take it in a whole new different direction and just see amazing outcomes, see how it affects people's lives. But because you're on a governance board, 99% of the people who receive a benefit from that change never know that you had anything to do with it. Right. But that isn't why you do it. Mm-hmm. You do it because you made change happen. The other thing it did for me, it educated me in a lot of areas, but it exposed me to such a diverse group of individuals here in Calgary. Everything, you know, from... Uh, the C-suite and oil and gas and and the home building industry and other industries, right down to people that you need to hand deliver groceries to so they can eat and have a meal the next day. And that is another reason why I have such a passion for this city. I have to really think that my whole involvement in the nonprofit sector is what made me fall in love with the people. Mm -hmm. The business, all that, it made me fall in love with the community. But the nonprofit has helped me fall in love with the people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, it's, a, it's a great story. Obviously, uh, a tragic story in some ways, but also a very hopeful story. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that, Zane. What is your vision for Calgary? And can you talk a little bit about Calgary
0: 2.0? For sure. So, a few things uh, you know, have occurred here in the last three or four years. I was asked by a, a group of individuals if I would consider running for mayor last term in the 2017 election and I at the time was like no you know I'd never be involved in politics it's just frustrating and then I you know I saw the election went and I've seen how the city's gone in the interim and i just have not liked it so actually after the last election in October of 2017 I lived downtown I was walking back to my place after the election results and I was like I've got to get involved I've got to bring change I've got to help change Calgary and a few things really concerned me Obviously, the unemployment, I feel there's just such a massive disconnect between the reality of City Hall and the reality of an ordinary Calgarian. That that's wrong. It's uh, it's disingenuous. To use one of my best friends, Calvin, always uses disingenuous. And the more I learn about that word, the more I see it applies. Thanks, Calvin. The more I see it applies to this city, and especially the leadership group. But one of the statistics that terrifies me, I mean, we have unemployment, we have, you know the most, the highest vacancy rate of any urban center in North America right now in commercial properties.
1: And, and this was even prior to COVID.
0: And this yeah. is just, yeah, emphasized it. But one of the numbers, you know, one of the things that shocked me, like we started out this conversation talking about how Calgary was just such a hub. You had to be here. FOMO, if you weren't here, you mm-hmm. fear of missing out because it was happening. Right now, you know, the population in Calgary is growing in every age demographic except 20 to 24. The last survey that came out here a few months ago, it actually shows that we lost 4.4% population Mm. in that demographic. And to me, that's terrifying. Those are young adults, you know, transitioning, coming out of high school and either entering post-secondary or the workplace. And not only are Calgarians choosing to not continue on here, but we are not attracting students and youth and young adults from anywhere else that fear of missing out us being that vibrant hub is gone right and that is our future i mean i only plan on running for mayor eight years two terms tops i think it should be two term limits but there's another reason for that too in another eight years this needs to be handed over to younger generations we need those young individuals being able to feel that they can be prosperous and successful in this community this city we need them to be building homes families, businesses, they are our future leaders. My runway is short. And if we pull, we're like a house of cards. You know the way society is right now, we've really seen this through the pandemic. When you shut one sector down, you affect every sector. Absolutely. And when we pull out that card in this house of cards, which is the age category of 20 to 24, this house of cards will collapse because we're not sustainable With our age demographics the way they are if we are not growing that and to change that we need to change Calgary Mm -hmm. you and I talked earlier about you know kind of the identity of Calgary and you know for many many years decades I think that if you ask most people locally or in around the world what is the identity of Calgary most people would have said well it's absolutely the energy hub of Western Canada if not almost North America Mm -hmm. and we had the best summer festival and rodeo by way of Stampede in the world. Mm-hmm. We were usually ranked in the top eight of festivals globally. So that's pretty epic for a city at that time, over a million. Now we're a million and a half. And the other one is we were on the doors. You know, doorsteps of the most beautiful mountain range in the world. Yes. Yeah. Well, the only thing that hasn't changed right now is the mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see that COVID has prevented our, you know, hosting the best rodeo in the world, the best summer event festival in the world. First
1: time ever it's been canceled.
0: I believe. Yeah, it was canceled last year, and who knows how it will roll up this year? Certainly won't be what it was because of the bans on travel. And number two, you know, number two or number three, our energy sector. You know, they've been docked down on their knees, Mm -hmm. and that's not what it was. So, how are we going to bring that vibrancy back? How do we make this city relevant again?
1: Well, that was my question to you, Um, and just to expand on on that, uh, the point you made about. The oil sector, the downturn in the oil sector, and we we've seen this in other areas. You know, for for example, Detroit. Um, you know, the automotive industry leaving that area, and and look what what used to be a, a very large and vibrant city is now uh, desolate and essentially a ghost town in many areas. So, I, when I hear people talk about Calgary going in that direction, um, obviously it's it's hard to comprehend that given how how vibrant the city is currently but um it's also alarming because you know as you as you mentioned there like these things can happen fast and when you start losing these younger demographics you start losing these key industries the landscape of a city can really change fast and and you know what what I guess my question to you would be what can we do to prevent that from happening so we have a few uh very tangible items on our platform
0: one is we need to drive vibrancy back to the city and that happens through a, f- a few different ways. You need to make this city once again, the city that you will have a fear of missing out on if you're not here. So we have visions about revitalizing our downtown that may not all be in harmony with the $200 million budget that was just rolled out. I mean, if, if there's a multiple phase phases that have to be enacted to revitalize the downtown. Number one, you have to create job opportunities. You have to, um, showcase Calgary and be the advocacy of Calgary to Canadians and to the world nationally and internationally and to do all of that you need to create a new identity because our identity now you know it's not oil and gas mm-hmm. It's you know it's it's moved on we need more than one festival a year so what we have to do and what we plan on doing is showcasing things such as our agric- agricultural sector clean technologies including green technologies, but even more and above and beyond that. We see now they talk about hydrogen, but there's also in our oil and gas industry, a lot of people don't realize we have the highest ESG rating in the world. And, you know, years ago, we always talked about the Alberta Advantage, Alberta Advantage, Alberta Advantage, which was true. But that Alberta Advantage came out because of the Alberta solution. This is a very innovative city and province. A lot of people don't realize it, but you know, Calgary has the second highest percentage of post-secondary graduates of any urban center mm-hmm. in Canada. And those individuals, brilliant individuals, when they were faced with problems like in the oil and gas industry or other sectors, they created solutions. And those solutions gave us the Alberta advantage. But we never showcased those solutions to the world. We never took the time to do that. Mm-hmm. We need to change that narrative. We need to create a new identity for Calgary and what? myself and my team feel that is, we need to make Calgary the entrepreneurial hub of the world. Mm -hmm. We need to let people know that we have so many qualified employees ready to go to work. We have the most connected downtown in the world. We have high-speed internet. We have all of those things. We need to prove to the world that we're worthy of being considered a world-class city. And in doing that, that also follows in on how we create vibrancy. We have visions for downtown, which drives traffic to the street, where it creates prosperity in restaurants, in boutique mm-hmm. shops, where now you want to work downtown, because now we don't. People, A, because of COVID, mm-hmm. are scared to work in those spaces, which I understand, but that will eventually change, and we're still going to have vacant spaces. How do we make sure that we're positioned to fill them? Right. Number two, because of the, the, the dearth of employment in oil and gas, or so many vacancies, Now we have all these beautiful offices that are vacant. We Mm -hmm. have to fill them. But we have to make sure that that whole puzzle is a complete puzzle. If you're going to go to work downtown and you're going to walk out into an empty street, it's not a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. If we can also create the energy and the vibrancy on our street level from... We have visions from 17th Ave right through to the Riverwalk to create um, cultural and entertainment hubs where... If you're not there, you're going to have a fear of missing out. One of the things that was cool, actually, about COVID, and if you can say anything was cool about that <laughs> plague, was the fact I live downtown. I live just a block or so off of 17th Ave, and they pushed all those patios out. They expanded the patios. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, you can go out for a walk, and on a nice evening, those patios are full of people. And it's like... Wow, it's almost like the Red Mile came alive to life again, right? right. It's like I want to be part of this. Also, now you're starting to have that fear of missing out. So I think that that was a tiny little lesson that we can roll out in a much grander plan and that's what we plan on doing. We plan on creating a downtown area to start with that makes people want to be there. Like you think of a place like Nashville. Like everybody wants to be on the street in mm-hmm. Nashville. Mm-hmm. There's so much to do. Mm-hmm. You just fear of missing out. We need to bring that up here. We also then went to work within individual communities. A lot of people don't realize about Calgary is just how diverse our population is because it was a city of opportunity for so many decades. We have cultural, uh, ethnic groups from all over the world here. And a lot of them don't get showcased. And a lot of them are just viewed as foreigners. Well, you know, we're pretty much all foreigners here. Mm -hmm, I mean, my grandparents came from Russia and and Ukraine. um, So I'm only second generation. So what we want to do is a thing called participatory budgeting where we roll out a municipal budget that can be accessed by either demographic or geographic communities, where they create a social enterprise, an actual business, and they bring a business case to our team at City Hall and say, if you give us X dollars, this is what we will do with it. And that could be anything from creating a festival within their community, be it ethnic or geographic. Kind of like you can think a little bit like Lilac Fest, what Lilac Fest brings, that's a pretty famous, huge festival. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a cultural center. Like our Chinese uh, community have done just such a spectacular job with Chinatown, right? You can go there for food, you can go there for clothes, all that. But we have more ethnic communities than just our Chinese community. Mm -hmm. But they've really taken the lead and done a great job of it. But we can learn from that and we can implement in other areas. Take for instance our Filipino community. There's 80,000 Filipinos in this city. And they do not have a, a culture, they don't have a hub, they don't have a hall, they don't have a community hall, they, they don't have anything really. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we were able to work with them through a social enterprise where they create a hall, a community hall, a hub, but then it's also surrounded by businesses, so it becomes a social enterprise, so it becomes self funded, they own it, they have ownership in it, so now they have respect for it, and they want to see it prosper and flourish. It's now an institution of respect. We see so often when things are just simply government funded mm-hmm. that they're not really appreciated because, like, oh, there'll always be more money coming down the pipe. Mm. If there is that cultural buy-in, that social buy-in, that local buy-in, there's no pride in that, and it becomes a respected place. But we also want to do it where it could not lead to silos of social or cultural isolation. Mm. Okay. We don't want to create a, a, a hall or a hub or a community for one culture that then they just only go there and don't share with the rest of Calgary. That isn't helping with systemic racism. It's not helping with any of those cultural issues we have. That business case they present us has to also include in there a segment about how they share that with others. So that can be a program that everyone who is involved in that uh, participatory budgeting now sets aside specific times of the month to take their showcase, their culture, their community to others within that. I would also like to work with the Calgary Board of Education to see if we couldn't dedicate a day a month or a couple of half days a month in every school where different cultures come into the school, where you're, you're Punjabi, you're Syrian, you're Somali, you're Nigerian, you're Australian, right? Yeah, uh, Russian, uh, Filipino, Chinese, whatever. You come in and you a topic. You share something with that school, whether it's you know something from your culture, whether it's food, clothing, dance, art, whatever it is. Because I believe that the best way, one of the best ways to try to overcome racism, and we always hear the word systemic racism, is if you can walk down the street and see someone else. And instead of looking at them and thinking, oh, foreigner, you look at them and go, oh, neighbor. Right. And how do you become a neighbor? Well, you have to share information. You have to share culture. You have to
1: share all of that. That melting pot type uh, mentality, yeah. And, you know, I think also we
0: can take that to the degree And no other city. I, I do not believe from my knowledge and research that any other city in Canada and probably North America has done a great job of it. Mm-hmm. I think that we could really lead the way in showcasing all our different cultures here. So let's say you want to come to university or you want to come to a holiday here. Now all of a sudden you can look at Calgary and you say, oh, I want to go there no matter what month of the year it is because... Yeah, we have the rodeo we know we have we have stampede in july and we have you know lilac fest in may typically and et cetera. Et cetera. but now all of a sudden you can look at oh well you know there is uh, a filipino parade or community event and it's here or the, a punjabi one or a, a russian one or a polish or a german yeah. or whatever and you also know, like, say hey well there's there's like 10 festivals in september in this city mm-hmm. not just an october fest where you drink beer at a bar right? We could showcase that, and we can even roll that in like we saw Chinook Blast this winter. Well, I think that we could do that in individual communities. Give them the creative opportunity to showcase their communities. And then we can run that, you know, as our narrative and our advocacy to Canada and to the world and attract that vibrancy, attract people here once again, Mm -hmm. and show that it's more than just a rodeo. Nothing against Stampede, but we need to do more than that. We have built our entertainment sector up to the point where it can have 1.3 million guests at Stampede. But that's 10 to 12 days of the year. What about the other 350 days of the year? Mm-hmm. We need to, like right now, our hotel industry is occupancy is the lowest in any urban center in all of Canada. 6.8%. Like, how do you survive and run a hotel? That's our biggest tax base, pretty much. Hotels mm-hmm. Pay them. I know some hotels pay $120,000 a month just in city property tax. Wow. And they have an occupancy of 6.8%. That's not like That isn't even close to sustainable. Mm-hmm. This is... We need to be creative. The Alberta solution
1: creates the Alberta advantage. So maybe we can uh, expand on that a little bit. So how can we revitalize businesses in, in Calgary? So you mentioned hotels, hospitality, but uh, obviously... Even COVID aside, um, I think there was there's a lot of room for improvement there. So so what would be your plan to to revitalize business? One of the main things we have to look at is regulation.
0: We're one of the most over-regulated, over-service-feed cities in Canada, if not almost North America. Take one look at the downtown core. Who is going to go downtown to have a meal or buy a drink when your parking is the second most expensive parking rates in North America. Right. We, we can start at things as simple as parking. We need to look at the whole regulation. I mean, it's a known fact, it's a proven fact that you can take a piece of raw land within the city limits of Edmonton and Calgary, and you can develop that piece of land in Edmonton in a fraction of the time, and with a significant cost savings, as Calgary. Right. I mean, I've talked to some of my friends in the, in the restaurant industry. And, I mean, you can still open a small venue in Edmonton, 20-seat venue with especially cocktails and finger foods, with probably a bank cash flow of about 350000 In Calgary, you know, all the different regulations that they have to conform to, the seating size, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the menu, everything, it's more like $1.3 million. Oh, wow. So why are you going to roll the dice of $1.3 million here when you can open three or four places in another community?
1: Right, and, and you mentioned the parking ticket issue. Like I, I read, an, I read a, uh, an article recently that at one of our mass vaccination sites, there was over a thousand parking tickets issued. F- Fifteen hundred. Yeah. And, and uh, obviously there was uh, the the frustration was that, you know, this was the, the message was to people who were going out there to get a vaccine was that the parking would be would be taken care of. There was no signage to indicate. And, and I mean,
0: that's just classic. That yeah. is classic of how we do this in Calgary you know we open up a vaccination site an immunization site which we're encouraging everyone to go to under threats of our businesses closed and everything else if we don't then we handle 1500 parking tickets which then becomes a major protest Mm. so then they have to re figure this out and now they have to refund them but how many people have already paid right so not even refund but like just delete them now do we refund in the meantime can you imagine the hundreds of thousands of dollars of internal costs that you and i as calgary taxpayers have paid because of this debacle where we couldn't figure out how to get our left foot in front of the right 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 this just happens time and time and time again and this is indicative of our whole permitting regulation zoning uh stance in this entire city you know our our current mayor who is not running again so i don't want to continue to slag on him but the fact of the matter is, you know, for years we've all heard the narrative. Oh, you know, our taxes are actually so low in Calgary. They're so low in Calgary. They're so low in Calgary. But you know what? Because of blunders like this, they're actually not. If you look at our capital expenditure budget in Calgary, it's five point three billion, and we have about one point five million projected uh, residents in Calgary. Mm-hmm. This summer, they say it'll be like one million five hundred some thousand. Edmonton has nine hundred seventy-three thousand, and they have a capital expenditure budget of two point eight billion mm. now normally there's this thing called scale of economics that come into play and that's why a company will buy another company and merge because scale of economics means they can be more competitive more per unit cost effective mm-hmm. so you would think that when you have a city of one and a half million compared to a city of 973 million that you know on an individual basis our capital expenditure budget should be more cost effective but if you do the simple math you divide residents by budget you'll see that Edmonton's about $2,844, something like that, per resident. Whereas Calgary, with half again the population, is actually 3400 and some okay. per resident. It's 20% more. Mm. But we can't even get snow removal. Right. We can't get winter tires on our buses. Half our buses didn't run for days and days and days this winter. So we're trying to advertise this city to the world, that we're a world-class city, and we can't even get our citizens to their job, their university, their... Their restaurants, their grocery stores, their amenities, their hospital.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you don't plow snow for weeks. We didn't plow snow for six weeks this winter. As senior citizens, how are they to crawl over that mound of frozen ice and snow, even to get a cab, even if the cab could get up the street? Like, these are things that are serious problems. So we want to attract business here. We better be a little more efficient. We need, we need to be actually welcoming. This city, for many years, because of the abundance of tax revenue they had never felt the need to be efficient they never felt the need to engage with Calgarians to see what Calgarians actual needs were mm-hmm. we have to change that rhetoric because everybody's bypassing Calgary it's why that group the telltale sign the canary in the coal mine as they say a group of age 20 to 24 are leaving that if that isn't the canary in the coal mine that's dying then what is mm-hmm. and that is because they don't this no longer viewed as an opportunity So we need to make sure that people see this as an opportunity, and to do that, A, we need to deregulate, we need to become business friendly, we need to remove obstacles, remove
1: roadblocks, and become efficient and welcoming, and then we have to advocate for that. And hold those policymakers accountable for, um, yeah, some of these shortcomings, so... You're involved, you mentioned earlier, you're involved with some different communities and demographics. Um, Can you talk about, and you already alluded to this a little bit previously, but can you talk about maybe some of the ways you plan to represent these communities?
0: I think that what we need to do first off is make sure that they have opportunities for success. And in doing that, there are things that we just automatically have to make sure that they have uh, available to them, whether that is courses of English as a second language, whether that is helping them understand the complexities of navigating a new city and a new culture to find job opportunities, to understand how schooling works, how to engage in schooling, what scholarships may be available to them. All the things, you know, i, I number one, I always say this, I do not believe it is the government's job to create jobs. And I say that because the government never does it efficiently. I mean, we can look at the we scandal, if you want a classic example of the worst scenario that the federal government rolled out, you know, a billion dollar project to create jobs and I don't think one single job was created out of that. Right. And government is kind of classic at that, getting a lot of money and spending it very inefficiently. But what government should be doing is making sure that they create structures for people to find their own success. So in our immigrant community, you know, do they have what is necessary? Do they have transportation that they can count on to get to their job because let me tell you you're living in the Northeast and your bus doesn't run for six days you don't have a job Mm -hmm. right going to university how do they navigate the complexities that so many of our immigrants have come here and having worked in the oil and gas industry on the fabrication side the design engineering side so many people I have talked to come here driving a cab and Calgary is you know not their home of origin Mm -hmm. and through conversations everything say what'd you do at home like oh well, I was an engineer. Right. Oh, I was a doctor. Well, there is, and I know it's not a municipal mandate, it's more of a provincial federal, mm-hmm. but there is no recognition of recertification of credentials from another country here. So what happens? We have, you know, an immigrant family that applies and they have two engineers in the family, you know, an electrical engineer, this and that. They come here and what do they do? Sweep a shop floor or drive a cab. And their hope is that maybe they don't have enough money to put their existing family through university. So they're hoping that their kids can get enough money to put their grandkids through university. Mm-hmm. So here we have missed out on two generations. And a lot of people sit back and go, well, this is the problem. This is why we have a problem. Well, part of the problem could be actually our solution. Do you not think that these individuals would prefer to go through some type of an abbreviated course? I know that all things aren't totally transferable. Mm-hmm. But if you already have an engineering degree somewhere, you know, to a great degree, math is math. Why would you have to come back and do another three, four, five years to re-educate? They don't have the time. They don't have the money. They don't have the ability. So that's all squandered. If we could somehow find that and maybe put that into a 12-month subsidized program, now all of a sudden, they're making exponentially more money. Their kids are now going to university, and we are now their home city. Because this is now they've got they came here for opportunity and we haven't recognized their certifications we haven't taken advantage of what they can bring to this community well that all translates into wealth that all translates into success prosperity and happiness for the entire city
1: mm-hmm. not just that family yeah absolutely and and we want to incentivize people to come here and it's you know and, and that's my impression as well that that lack of recertification um, procedure really disincentivizes people. So certainly does. And then everybody else, the armchair credits can sit back and say,
0: well, look, they're here and they're just living off social services. Well, sometimes they don't have an option because we've taken all those options away. Once again, this comes back to having Calgary as a city of bridges
1: and opportunities rather than
0: roadblocks and
1: obstacles. Mm-hmm. we talk talked a little bit about the current uh, mayor and, and um, maybe some of the, the shortcomings uh, in policy there. Maybe we can talk a little bit about some of what you would view as some of the positive things that may have been done uh, in, in this previous administration.
0: Well, I think that you know it's pretty interesting when uh, uh, Nahid Menchi was first elected. Um, a, his campaign was 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 pretty brilliant. It's pretty interesting. He engaged a whole new demographic of voters, to become interested in politics and interested in the city. I think that was fantastic. I think it was pretty cool. You know, we had a mayor that wasn't just what we always typically assumed a mayor to be, we had a mayor of uh, a different racial background, uh, different religious background. I think it positioned us well on the global stage to be recognized as the leading city that we are in many ways. And I think there were a lot of creative things that uh, you know Mayor uh, Nancy did initially that brought positive attention to Calgary. And you know, I'll always know think i'll I'll appreciate that Mm -hmm. i think that lately we've he's either lost that energy i think that we have a leadership that's really lost direction Mm -hmm. and now what i see sadly is what i used to see now i see when there are problems rather than us having a leadership group in city hall that says okay well this is an obstacle here's how we're going to lead through it i see now more a leadership that group goes well here's an obstacle and it's because of the provincial government's fault. It's because of the oil and gas industry. It's because of the pandemic. It's because of the federal government. It's always seems lately to instead of leading, it's uh, pointing fingers or passing the responsibility of our problems on to someone else. Mm. And that is not true of what we are as Calgarians or Albertans. We are the type of people who are industrious, resourceful, and no matter what the obstacle is, we typically, you know, heads down, we, get, we figure our way through it. We fight through it. And I think that, you know, a little bit of that even goes, I know it's a bit more provincial, but you look what we've ever received in this province for transfer payments. Zero. Only province in Canada that's received zero transfer payments through Confederation. But we've paid out $661 billion. Well, that's because we are the individuals who just buckle down and get the job done. And I don't see that our city hall is doing that. I think that there was a point in time, like during the flood and that, mm-hmm. uh, when our mayor... Was really good at showcasing Alberta. Pardon me, showcasing Calgary to Alberta and to the world about how we overcame that huge adversity, united together, grew together, moved together, and pulled off like the stampede, which no one in the world believed we could do, and we did an epic job of it. So I think that you know he did some great things there, but I do not see that desire of leadership anymore.
1: Okay, great. So we like to end the podcast with a question. And you've already talked about this a little bit, um, but one of your taglines with the campaign is, I believe in Calgary. So why do you believe in Calgary?
0: Well, it's because of the people. Absolutely. And a friend of mine, and she is an expert in branding and all that, and she had a friend of hers who flew in a couple of years ago. He was kind of crowd she hangs out, and he was on a layover, like literally in, between jobs in Hong Kong, had a few days off, jumped the plane, came to Calgary to say hi. So she toured him all over the city. And at the end of it, she says to him, like, so what do you think of Calgary? He goes, well, having traveled the entire world, I'm not really sold on your architecture. He goes, but I will say this. These are the nicest people in the world. And I think that that really sums us up. We have some of the most beautiful, intelligent, articulate, innovative people in the world. And that's why I believe in Calgary. It's because I believe in Calgarians and I believe that though we're facing such adversity right now with the right leadership, we will rise above this. And I don't want to, you know, make Calgary what it was because it will never be what it was. But I think we can actually, with new technologies, new industries, we can make it better than it ever was. And in fact,
1: we have to because
0: as Calgarians, we deserve
1: that. Zane Novak, thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me.